Thank you, Brother Wayne. Just a heads up, I'm not Brother Chris. I want you to get confused there, but uh, Chris will be back with us on Wednesday night, so I encourage you to be here. He just finished up a great series called Game Plan. There are inserts in your bulletins. If you would like to get a copy of that, those are also on the website, and he will be starting a new Christmas series next Sunday, so you'll want to be a part of that. This morning, uh, myself and Josh, who is helping with the sound, we're in the bullpen, so we're coming out. We're actually preaching on the same passage today. So if you want to come back in the second service and get a totally different take on the passage, then come back at 11 o'clock, because that's one of the beautiful things about Scripture, is there's that central truth, but from that central truth, we can get so many different applications from that. This morning, you have on the cover of your bulletins leftovers, and he'll take one take on that. I'm going to take a totally different take on that. I like leftovers, little Tony Satchery's on some turkey, uh, what's some good stuff. But I want us to think about leftovers in the concept of if you have ever coached something, whether it was an academic team, whether it was a sports team or whatever, because if you have... Or if you've ever been in P.E. back in the day when the P.E. teacher had to be in the greatest job in the history of the world because basically he could sit on a chair, read his newspaper, and roll out a kickball, and you stayed busy for an hour. But a lot of times you would divide up for things, and two people would pick teams. And if you were that last four, five, six person getting picked on a team out of about 30 or 40, sometimes you felt kind of like you were a leftover. And if you've ever coached a team where there's had to be a draft or something like that, you know, there's those key players that everybody wants to get, and then you get down there to the bottom, and you're trying to figure out, okay, who can hurt me the less uh, in those situations. And sometimes you can look at those kids sometimes as leftovers. And a coach sometimes when he is coaching can sometimes treat those kids if they're not careful like leftovers, and then they'll start acting and playing like leftovers. And if you watch any football this weekend, which is part of Thanksgiving, and I know everybody here loves the Cowboys, so go Cowboys. Um, I'm sorry for that sin I just committed. Um, but if you've watched something like that, people have different roles you know, on the team, and a lot of times this guy that's not even thought about may have been the last person kept when it came down to cuts, and he runs down the field and, and downs the ball on the one or two yard line. And if he doesn't embrace that and realize that his role is very important, then maybe he doesn't run as hard and that ball goes on into the end zone and it can make a big difference in the ball game. So you, when you have people that you're responsible for, even if they're not that good, even if they're not that talented, even if they're not gifted in something, you need them. If you're in band, you need the third uh, chair trombone player. Okay, you need each person and for each person to realize that they're valuable. And if you realize and you treat them like you're valuable, then hopefully they'll play like they're valuable. And the reason I say that is because Malachi, we're looking at Malachi today, chapter 1, and in Malachi, the book talks about leftovers, and it's about people giving their, the priest kind of being okay with people giving their leftovers to God, and then the people start giving their leftovers to God. But I believe those actions sprang forth from the fact that the people themselves felt like they were leftovers. They felt like they had been forgotten. They had forgot that they were valued by God. And one of the reasons that Malachi gave his word, and the word Malachi means messenger, and we don't know a whole lot about him. He was around the time of Nehemiah. 
Uh, so if you're kind of looking for similarities there of what was going on with the people. But any time a prophet was given, that should have been a sign that I love you and I value you because I'm coming and giving you a special corrective word to get you back on track and get you back on course. We don't always like to hear a harsh word, but going back to the coaching situation, Ed knows this, when you start ignoring and not getting a word from a coach, that's the kind of sign he's kind of lost potential in you. He doesn't see you being able to help. But even if you're that second, third, and the, and the string guy and the coach is still coming at you hard, that means he sees some potential in you. And so he's giving you a difficult word because he wants to inspire you to reach your potential. And in this book here, the prophet Malachi is coming and he sees that the people, they're living like leftovers and he wants to inspire them to do something and to be something different. This morning, I want to share with you about mission, staying on mission for God. And the only way that we can stay on mission for what God has for us, if we embrace the fact we're valuable to God, we are created in his image. We were knit together in in his mother's room. He sent his son in our mother's womb. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. There's nothing, he's not going to leave us nor separate from us. He loves us. We are valuable to him. And he has a mission that he has entrusted to us. We are his ambassadors. The mission in the Old Testament is spelled out uh, Abraham. There was a word given to him. He says, I want you to go out. And to all the earth, and all the earth is going to be blessed by you. In Isaiah 43.10, he says, you are my witnesses. And then in Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 5 through verse 7, this is the only time we're going to look at chapter 2, but he just, he, he, he spells out mission real clearly in this chapter. And he says, the purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace, and that is what I gave them. This required reverence from them, and they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. They passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me. They did not lie or cheat. They walked with me living good and righteous lives, and they turned many from lives of sin. That was their mission. It says, the words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God, and people should go to him for instruction, for the priest is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. The mission was to turn people away from their sins. The mission of the folks in the Old Testament through the covenant, through the laws, was to be a people that were set apart, that was to be a lighthouse to the nations. They look and they saw how they worshiped God and they honored and they lived. And nations were to turn to God because of the way that the Israelites lived. That was their mission. That mission is spelled out for us in the New Testament, in the Great Commission it's spelled out for us. And also in Acts 1.8 it's spelled out for us. It says, but you, talking to us, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We have been given a mission. We are to be God's witnesses, his ambassadors, his representatives to the world. Satan has come to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy our witness. He wants us to get us off mission because he wants to kill, steal, and destroy people's lives. His goal is to get us off mission. And when he can get us feeling like leftovers 
and like we're not valued and like we're not empowered and like when we don't have the ability and we don't have self-confidence and we start looking inward instead of upward, we'll get our eyes off mission. And we want to accomplish what God has placed us here to do. Now this morning, we're going to look quickly at three tests that we can look at to see are we behaving like leftovers or are we behaving like those that are chosen and valued of God to carry out the mission that he has entrusted for us to do. But here's the difficult thing about self-examination. They talk about when you give self-surveys, we always tend, people tend to overestimate themselves. If you're given a survey, we usually tend to rate ourselves higher than what we are. If we tend to, we go to something and we have to put down how much we weigh, we usually put we weigh less than what we do. We tend to evaluate ourselves better than, than we are. And one of the difficult things in counseling, and I'd have got a degree in counseling and counseled for a while, and I still do some, I would refer you to go to Brandon if you really want good counseling. But the difficulty in counseling is you have to get people to acknowledge that there's a problem. You got to get them to acknowledge there's a problem. Then you got to get them to own the problem. And then you've got to get them willing to look and take action steps to make changes in their lives. And that's difficult to do because it's a lot either instead of, of acknowledging I've got a problem is to deflect. To, to blame and point at somebody else instead of owning the problem because if I because otherwise I'm going to have to make changes. And it's amazing how a lot of times people would rather live in dysfunction and discomfort and with all the chaos than make the changes. Why? Because they know that. They know what the world is like with the chaos, but what happens if I change? And so that's the difficulty. And even looking at things spiritually... To be, it's difficult sometimes to take an honest evaluation of ourselves spiritually. But just like the coach that wants to see your, your potential, I want you to see and know your potential as a witnesses. I want you to see and know your potential as a church, as a child of God. And we can only do that if we're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to honestly examine ourselves and where we are in our walk and our relationship with Christ. So this morning, as I go through these things, be real careful because it's really careful to kind of overestimate ourselves. And just let the whole, this isn't kicking you. It's being honest about where you are because with honesty comes change and with change comes being able to be the success, to have the influence and the impact that God wants us to have. So the first thing that I want us to look at in the scripture in Malachi talks about is we need to examine our love. We need to examine our love. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, the prophet makes a statement. And he's making a statement from God. And the book of Malachi is kind of this, if you read the book, it's this back and forth between the prophet. And the prophet will state a question from, the, from God. And he'll give what he knows is the people's response to God. And then a lot of times a statement from God. So he's given a statement from God. And he says, I have always loved you, says the Lord. I've always loved you. After this, and you should leave that passage up there, after this, he looks, he gives the example uh, of Jacob and Esau. And he says, my love's different than the world's. The world's love is basically with Esau, he's the firstborn, he's the one that should get everything. That's not how I operate. I look at the heart. And I saw Jacob's heart. I saw in Esau someone that didn't value the birthright, 
uh, someone that didn't value the blessing. But in Jacob, I saw someone heart who valued those things. And, and, and he goes through in those following passages about how much he loves those whose heart is right for God. But he says, he reminds them, I've always loved you. And if you think back through your history, you think to the creation where I created the world for you. And I placed you in it. When the restoration that I made for Adam and Eve, when you think about uh, Moses and you think about his deliverance of the people, how can you question the fact that I've loved you? When you think about Jacob and taking the people into the promised land, when you think about the judges and how I use them to bring about deliverance, when you think about King David and King Solomon, when you think about there's always been a faithful remnant and I've saw them and I've protected them, when you think about prophet after prophet that I have sent to correct you and bring out in line, how in the world can you question the fact that I have loved you? But they retort, really? Really have you loved us? And the reason is, if you understand a little bit about the background of Malachi and the book, they're looking at their situation and their circumstances. How can you love us when you look at these situations and circumstances? In about 605, the people B.C., they were taken out of the land into exile. About 70 years later, they come back into the land. They come back into the land, the temple's rebuilt, the walls are rebuilt. This is about 100 years after that. But even though all this has happened, things still aren't perfect and rosy uh, in the land. There's still problems. There's still problems. The, the temple doesn't have the splendor of the previous temple. King Zerubbabel that's in place, that's supposed to do all these great things, he's basically just working hand-in-hand with the Persians who have taken over, uh, who've occupied the land at this point. He sees the crops aren't what they used to be. We're experiencing drought. The people seem to be down. Where is the blessings from God in this situation? And they look at their circumstances and they're basing God's love on them based on their present circumstances rather than on the truth of God and what God's word says about them. And where we've got to be so careful is that, and this is where you've got to be honest in evaluating yourself. We've got to be so careful because if we're not, we'll allow our circumstances to determine how much God loves us and our view of God's love for us. If we're going through difficulties and hardships and setbacks, whether it's health, whether it's financial, whether it's family, it's easy to look and say, God, where are you at? Do you not care? Do you not see? Do you not know me? Instead of looking at the truth of God's word. Instead of looking at John 3.16. Instead of looking at Romans 8.32 where it says, since he did not spare his own son for you. When we look at Romans 8, 38 and 39, that says nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we look at 1 Peter 1, 4, where he says we have an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade away. When we forget to look at those truths and instead look at our circumstances, we start questioning God's love. And when we question God's love, we start acting with a lack of confidence, with a lack of hope with a lack of perseverance, and we start fading back, and that's exactly what was happening in their days. They were questioning God's love for them because of their circumstances. And because of that, self and what was going on with me and myself and my circumstances took priority over God and his promises. And that's the subtle way that Satan gets in the door. He gets in the door, and self takes priority over 
God. Our love for self overtakes love for God simply when we start focusing on poor me and my situation and my circumstances. I think one of the most humbling things that I think for a long time is going to keep me hopefully from falling real hard into this for a while is the situation that just went on with the Payne family. And if you were a part of those emails that her parents sent out going through that, I mean, it just, uh, they're going through a 10-week circumstance where their daughter is, is, is just facing setback and difficulty after difficulty after difficulty, and they're sending email after email about love and faith and trust in God. That doesn't mean they understand. That doesn't mean they're going, oh boy, yay. But they're giving faith and testimony and trust in God. And God's getting the glory. They're not acting like leftovers. They're acting like they're valued by God. They're acting not like their daughter's a leftover. But she is loved and she is valued by God. And God's going to take her life and her situation and her circumstances and going to impact other people. And he did and he has and he will. And he's taken their life. And what they went through, and they're using their testimony to impact people. So it's so important for us to be witnesses for God. We've got to not question God's love for us. But we've got to, no matter what circumstances, because John sixteen thirty three says, in this life, you will have trouble. We're going to have trouble in this life. But he says, praise God, because I have overcome the world. And so when we trust in God and his truth, instead of situations and circumstances, we're able to maintain our witness for God. Here's the second thing that he tells us to check. He tells us to check our honor and our respect. Our honor and our respect for God. And I know our response a lot of times, and my response would be, of course, I honor and respect God. And it's not necessarily a matter that you don't honor and respect God, but it is the priority in which we honor and respect God. Look at these verses beginning in verse 6. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says, The Lord of heaven armies says to the priests, A son honors the father... And a son should honor his father. In this day and time, that was huge. That was actually a capital offense. Uh, We don't know that that was ever carried out. But to dishonor and disrespect your parents was very serious. So a son certainly should honor his father. And a servant respects his master. A servant should respect his master. You know, Scripture talks about that. And a lot of times a servant was dependent on him for job, for livelihood, for a home. So he should respect his master who is providing for him. And he says then, if I'm your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserved? You have shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for his name? Again, he's making a statement. You've shown contempt for your name. Their response, again, no self-evaluation. How have we ever shown contempt for your name? He goes on in verse 8, and he even talks about you're showing respect for the governor. You don't even like the governor, and yet you know you can't bring him leftover sacrifices that you're bringing to the altar. You're showing him respect. So in this situation, they're showing respect for father. They're showing respect for their master. They're showing respect for the governor. And God says, but where's my respect? The order, the priority had gotten misplaced. Again, it's good to show respect to your father. We should all respect those family members. that have, We should love them and respect them. We should care for them. But the problem is, especially... It seems like in the last generation or so, respect for family a lot of times and love and commitment for family has displaced 
respect for God. In other words, it's not that we're not respecting God. It's just there is respect and a commitment and a love and a giving to family that is way surpass love and commitment. I'm not going to miss anything my children, my grandchildren, whatever do, but we'll see when God fits in my schedule. I'm going to put back, we've just done Black Friday shopping. Not opposed to Black Friday shopping. Did some myself sitting in my recliner uh, on the computer. But it's easy when you're budgeting for Christmas, and that's a good idea too, to budget for Christmas. But it's easy when you're budgeting for Christmas and we're thinking about, okay, Grandmama, on, I don't want to miss this person. You know, good, this family get together, we draw the names, that saves me some money. Uh, so, so we're going through that whole process of putting back, but then a lot of times... What do we think about giving to God? You know, what's that offering we do this time of year, Lottie Moon Christmas offering? Is Lottie Moon on your list anywhere? Given towards our, oh wait, if I have a little bit left over, if I think about it, I'll write some to that. And if we're not real careful, love and commitment to family and things of family, it's good. I'm not saying cut back on any on your commitment to family, but God shouldn't be less than. And the same thing with a servant to to his master. We should respect those that we work for. We should show up and try to do the best, even if we cannot stand our job. Okay? We're working as we're doing unto the Lord. We should come in on time, work hard, give our best effort, and do our best to make it better, to be a good reflection on our boss and our company. We should do that. But sometimes there's more passion and work and commitment to work and showing up. And then we let work determine who I'm worn out from work. So, uh, so I can't go to church or this, that, or the other. We let that determine our priorities. And even with the governor, you know, we know we got to pay our taxes. We know we have to do that. We know there's certain fees and forms and things that we have to get onto. We may not like to do it, but we know have to do it. And he says, and he, and he would look at him and go, there's not even that same obligation and commitment to me that you have toward your governor. I get less than you're giving to them. And so for us to be the witnesses that God wants us to be, God's got to be priority number one in our respect and our honor. And the truth of the matter is, you're never going to love and respect your family like you, like you can. You may be doing a great job, but it's not like you can unless love and respect for God is first. You're never, things at work are never going to unless God is first. So it's important. So the, the statement here is examine yourself. Are you honoring and respecting God? When you look at your life, when you look at your words, when you look at your time, when you look at your actions, when you look at your character, when you look at your thought life, are you honoring and respecting God? One of the, the cool things in this passage is, as you saw there at the beginning of verse 6, he referred to himself as the Lord of the heavenly armies. And, and 241 times in the Bible it uses Lord of hosts. 24 times Malachi uses that reference to the Lord of heaven's armies. And sometimes that term was used in battle, but it's a lot bigger term than that. It's a term that refers to the, the leader of all the angelic and the heavenly host of the entire universe. That's what my name represents. And it's getting treated like common. It's getting treated like it's way down in the place. And he tries to remind them over and over and over again in Malachi how powerful I am. How I'm over everything and yet I want to have a relationship with you. And yet right now I've sent a prophet to speak to you and bring you out. The God with all that power wants to be in relationship with you. 
And he says, listen to me and honor me as I deserve. And when you do, then God is able to put you in a position where he can use you to witness and impact and influence family, friends, co-workers like he so desires. And then the last area to examine ourselves is in the area of worship. These first areas talk about something inward, that inward love, that inward honor and respect. And a lot of times worship is something that, that people see. It's certainly an inward thing, our personal worship. But he's talking here about some outward evidences of worship. And he says in, chapter, in verse 7 of chapter 1, You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. And, and in, the, in, the, in the law, it makes really clear about you're supposed to bring your first and your breath, best, nothing with defect, nothing that's crippled, nothing that's lame. And it asks, again, how have we defiled the sacrifices? What in the world are you talking about? But, he, but in this passage, they're just totally and completely clueless to what's going on. Bringing God less than our best to the altar. And a lot of times when this isn't right, this isn't right. And this is what people see. And for people to see and us to have the power in our witness, they hear our words. They see our actions. They see how we treat our spouse. They see how we treat our friends. They watch our commitment to church. Now, in that day and age, they certainly could see the sacrifices that were being brought to the altar. The children could clearly see dad's bringing old blue that was on its last leg. They could certainly see that. And he may have justified it. Well, it's just going to get burned up on the altar anyway. So what difference does it really make? And that attitude floated in. Well, who's going to see? Who's going to know what I dropped? You know, we've always, you know, get the offering plate sometimes and it has the empty envelope because, you know, I want somebody to see what I'm, I'm putting in here. But God sees and God knows. And that's what's important. But the thing is, other people are watching. And other people do see what's going on. And so it's important here that our worship properly reflects on God because it's easy to get into the habit of corporately where God has said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, that he incorporates the praises of his people, that he has called us together as a body. You cannot worship God the same in a deer stand or a duck blind or on a fishing boat as you can in church because that's not how God set it up. He set it up for us to corporately come together and to worship. And they were neglecting that. It was just common. It was like, you know, we don't feel like God's loving us, blessing us. What difference does it make or whatever? And it was reflected in their worship and they were given leftover sacrifices at the ceremonies. And for us, it can happen in our worship attendance. For us, it can happen in our giving. Uh, there was a good example given. Um, talked about a, a preacher. And they used to do this thing when preachers would move into in, a town. A lot of times churches owned a house, a parsonage. So the preacher would live in there and the church sometimes would do a pounding for them. And basically, you would bring canned goods and things to the house. And so they were excited about this. And so the, the church had brought all these canned goods and things to their home. And so as they got to looking and putting the things away, they noticed that a lot of the cans were out of date. They noticed that some of the things that were donated, craft items to put up and decorate in their house, were things that had a piece missing or slightly broken or whatever. In other words, they were bringing their leftovers. I've noticed that sometimes when we'll do things for flood and hurricanes and stuff, things that I was going to give away or throw away or about done, that's what we donate instead of sometimes things that cost us something. Now, sometimes they ask for those things, and that's fine. 
but sometimes it's just real easy to give what's used and what's left over. And we can get in the habit of doing that in our worship. And it impacts our witness. And we do that because we feel left over. We do that because we feel like, you know, my life's not going to, this little bit of money's not going to make that much of a difference. Whether I'm there or not is not going to make that much of a difference. Whether I sing or participate is not going to matter that much. At the end of the day, whether I pray a few minutes, or what difference does it really make? I mean, God's this God of the universe. What do my little prayers make? What does my reading of his word make? And it can be easy that God gets the leftovers. We pray at the beginning of the day, the end of the day, at a meal when somebody's sick. After we've read the paper, watched what we're going to watch and all, we'll read a little bit in Scripture. And it's easy to get in the habit of giving leftovers instead of realizing, man, God has got a purpose and a plan for your life, and he wants to use you to impact people. Spend time with him. Realize that you are valuable to him. I can give an example one time of these, these, these students, and they were asking another student to come to church and praying and praying and praying for them. And the one Sunday that student shows up to church finally, neither one of them is there. And neither one of them, when I asked them about it, had a good excuse for not being there. And that student never came back again. And if that one time they had been there to welcome him, their being there made a difference. Your prayers make a difference. Your Bible study makes a difference. Your Watching what you say and how you act, you're biting your tongue uh, at the ballpark, at a ball game, uh, in traffic, getting pulled up. Those things make a difference. Those little acts of showing God that he is of worth and of value. So I'm going to speak, I'm going to act, I'm going to conduct myself privately and, and publicly in a way that gives honor and glory to you. It makes a difference. Because this last verse here. This is in chapter 1, verse 11. Um, This is what's going to happen. This is the result. And God says, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to realize you're valuable, and I want you to be a part of impacting the world for my name. It says, but my name is honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. He's given the prophetic word that whether you're telling the people of that day, whether you're honoring my name or not, my name is going to be honored. My purposes are going to be accomplished. And I would like you to be a part of that. And if you will repent of letting my love take second place and basing it on your circumstances, if you'll repent of not honoring and respecting my name, if you'll repent that your worship has become just going through the motions and routine and you don't expect anything to happen and you're given leftovers, if you'll simply repent, if you'll simply confess, say exactly what I say about your sins, don't make excuses, don't point, don't blame, don't compare yourselves to other people, just go, this is totally and completely unacceptable. And if I'm going to be used by God to be a witness to my family, to my friends, to my co-workers, if I'm going to be used by God even to help support and pray for and make a difference in missions all around the world, I've got to be in right relationship with God. I've got to base, my love is based on promises. I've got to give the honor and respect due his name. I've got to give the worship that is due his name because I want to be used by him. And if we'll be willing to use that, then God will use us to help make his name be great. 
we can impact those that God has placed us in that circle of influence. So today, as we come to this time of invitation, I just want to ask you where you are to do that thing that's difficult to do in counseling and to honestly allow the Holy Spirit to examine yourself. In any way at all, are you allowing circumstances to impact how you view the love of God? Are you saying, you know, things aren't great, things are difficult, things are hot, but I know God loves me, I know he cares for me, and I'm not going to let anything doubt or make me question that. And, 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 and if I've been doing that, I'm going to give that to God and say, God, forgive me for letting other things get in the way of the fact and the truth that you love me and you want to use me to impact the world. Be honest and look at yourself and say, you know, if I'm honest, I'm not giving God the honor and respect that's due his name. I'm, I'm, my family's probably a little bit above God. My work, it's a little, my friendship, the things I, those things are what give me excitement and joy, not the things of God. God, forgive me for that. And help me to give the honor and respect that's due your name and to live like that so that my name, the way that I live, properly respects on your name. And God, i got to be honest about worship. I wasn't excited about coming this morning. My quiet time this week, it was routine. It was leftovers. I prayed when I thought about it. Given, eh. There's other things that I'm getting a whole lot more excited and I'm not giving you the worship that's due your name. And the great news is, the story's not over. The great news is if you simply acknowledge that and you own it and you give it to God and you let God show the action steps that you need to take to change, then God says, good, get in the game. I can use you because I've got people that you above anybody else can influence for Jesus. I don't care your age. I'm not done with you. You have grandchildren and nieces and nephews and cousins and friends and coworkers and people that you're in the lines and the Rotary Club with and, and, and that you uh, fish and hunt with. You can impact them for Jesus Christ. You can make my name great among the nations, but you got to give me first place. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us and caring for us. Father, thank you that you did not give us leftovers. But Father, you gave us yourself. You gave us Jesus Christ. You gave us your best. You gave us your all, Father. And Father, you continue daily to give us your best. But Father, because we have a relationship that cannot be severed or broken. And Father, in light of that, help us just to be honest with ourselves. Father, help us to take the words of Malachi that, as far as we know, did not changed the people, did not change the audience that it was directed to. Oh, for a little while they went through some changes, but then it was back into the same routine. Father, help us to take it to heart and, and to be willing to be honest, to be willing to change ever how you need to change us or renew us or restore us. Uh, Father, in our prayer too, if today in this room today somebody doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Father, that they would accept that gift of salvation that you offer so that they can know that love, they can know that peace, and they can have a life that has influence and impact for eternity. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Wayne's going to lead us, and where you're standing or come forward, you respond as God leads.